Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's supposed to be very slim and scored. Very slim and scored from Middlesbrough. Tom Anthony's to his knees in dismay. Slaven here. Thanks for joining me in Total BS. This is just a special. I'll be back again uh, when the season kicks off with podcasts, Facebook Lives. I will be doing YouTube uh, throughout the, the close season. Uh, but with Liverpool in the Champions League Cup final tomorrow against Real Madrid, what a game that's going to be. I thought I would play this chat I did with former Liverpool great, who went on to win two European Cups. Not only won them, he scored in the two of the finals. Alan Kennedy, and don't forget Alan Kennedy was a fullback. Um, so sit back and enjoy. Morning, Alan. Where, where were you born? I was born in uh, Sunderland, Kale Road, Sunderland, and uh, on the 31st of August, uh, 1954. Um, and my mum and dad were from. Uh, my mother was from Hettenley Hall, which is um, Bob Paisley uh, country, mm-hmm. and my father was from the Newcastle area. So we. Uh, we we got to meet. Oh, I I was brought back to a little village, a little pit village called Shiny Roar. 
Shiny Row. Shiny Row, and then um, we lived there for a, a quite a while, and then moved up to Pencher next to the monument. Was so, that the uh, posh end? Yes, it was. It was the posh end. It was um, still a council house. We're still in a council yeah. house, and um, but we decided to go and do it, and uh, we uh, we never looked back. We loved it, and uh, and then we we sold the house, but uh, the council weren't very happy. But we sold it, and uh, <laughs> we got a few problems. So uh, it was uh, it was a great upbringing. Because I, what I did, I used to love, obviously, love playing football. I used to play football every day of my life in in Penshaw. and Penshaw, as people will know, is on a hill. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, you know, I got used to the the hillside of the kicking up was a bit of a, a traumatic experience, but going down the hill was great. Like, you know, we used to love it. And, uh, I had many games, 25 aside usually. <laughs> Who did you actually support as a kid? Were you a Sunderland fan? Yes, I was. Me, yeah. me mother's family persuaded me at that particular time to uh, support Sunderland and, um, you know, some of my favourite players like, you know, George Mulhall and um, Nick, a guy called Nick Sharkey going back uh, to the early 60s. Mm-hmm. You know, Jim Montgomery was the, the best goalkeeper I'd ever seen. Yeah. And, uh, but uh, my favourite player was a guy called Charlie Hurley. Oh, um, Charlie. And uh, he was a wonderful centre-half, big, tall, imposing dark hair and um, you know studies grounded everything so I used to look up to him and think I wish I could play football like him and um, eventually you know I I probably did but in a different position but the the problem was my my father's side of the family uh, from the Newcastle side Mm -hmm. um, um, I I suppose made me go and go and watch a few Newcastle games because my father loved Newcastle Mm -hmm. and um, so I was torn between the two teams the red and whites and the black and whites Um, and I was eventually persuaded at about the age of 10 or 11 that uh, Newcastle was the better team because my brother started to play in in, in their youth team so so I eventually went to uh, as a Youngster, I went to sort of like um, on, on on the Tuesday and Thursday nights. Remember the Tuesday and Thursday nights? You yes, go along sessions, for, yeah. for a trial session, and yeah. uh, so I went along on a trial session, and uh, they thought I was mm, half decent. And, and I think the only reason I got in the team because I could kick the ball with my left foot. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's not many of them left. You're right with class, with so class as well. Who was the manager that actually signed you for for Newcastle? It was Joe, Joe Harvey. Joe Harvey uh, I yeah. mean, Joe was Joe was brilliant in the olden days, the real olden days. Like you know, it was um, you know. I remember going in and uh, they had a couple of men in white coats, and I thought, <laughs> what are they here for? Like you know, um, Benny Craig and uh, a guy called um, Alec Much, and they used to look after everything. And uh, I remember going in one day, Bernie, and um, I was I was injured, I got a bit of a knock, like you know, I got in, like you know, and they said you'll have to wait outside, you'll have to wait outside until. Uh, we got the next patient in, like you know, and I, and I see this greyhound. I see this greyhound going in and getting some treatment. I thought, blow me neck, like you know, the greyhound before one of the youngsters, like you know. I thought, blow me neck, like you know, what's it all coming to? But um, you know, it was it was a fantastic upbringing. I really did. Uh, you know, we talk about the greats at the time that were there, the Bob Moncurs, and I, I'd watch Bob Moncur score a couple of goals in a in a European final That's right. uh, against Wiesbaden Dorset, yeah. and. Um, yeah, I used to again look up to players like that. You know, Win Davis was was again a hero of mine back in the in the late sixties with his aerial power and uh, you know Brian Pop Robson again yeah. scoring the goals for fun, wonderful striker. Um, but um, and, and at that stage of my career, I was more of, of a striker rather than a than a sort of like a defender because um, you know I used to play as, as a kid outside left of my school team and. Um, 
scored quite a few goals. But uh, again, the reason I got in the team because I, I could basically, you know, give a bit of balance to the team on the left hand side. Um, when you joined Newcastle, Alan, um, considering you were a Sunderland fan, was you know were you in two minds or um, didn't it, didn't it bother you? No, no, my brother. Uh, Keith, who was there before me, mm-hmm. um, I mean, Keith was two and a half years older than me, um, and he basically said, listen, you know, Newcastle are offering you a, a deal at this moment in time, but I wasn't so sure whether, I, I, again, I wanted to be a footballer. My dad was the, the one that, hey, son, you know, you've got to stay on at school and do your extra qualifications, and, mm-hmm. um, you know, at the time I thought, well... Oh, no, I wanted to be a footballer, but okay. I always believe in my mum and dad. Like you know, my dad said, "You've got to do it." Like you know, just in case you don't make it as a footballer, or yeah. just in case you get injured, you know, it would be the problem. So, so in the end, you know, uh, I went to um, the old Washington Grammar School, which was us with comprehensive, and mm-hmm. uh, I was there for that extra year, and um, I managed to get all the qualifications I could. So I got history and geography at you, all level. You did? I did, would you believe? And so I, I, it was great staying on to get those two O-levels. It really was worthwhile. I mean, my dad was ever so pleased anyway. And, and then and then Newcastle came along and said, well, would you like to sign as an apprentice? And normally you get a two-year contract, but uh, they said, you know, basically you can only have the one year because I was coming up to 17 mm-hmm. and uh, felt as though that one year, you know, they said one year will be enough. And, Obviously it was, and you know I made my debut in the 1973 season against Stoke City. So, you know, but the problem was before that, Bernie, is that my brother Keith played in the same position. Is that right? And he was a left back, and I was a left back, and I remember playing in the reserves one time. I had to play right back at this, and they said it would be good experience for you. Well, I was like a fish out of water. You know, everything was coming onto me left foot, and I, I thought to myself, "How do I work this one out?" Like, you know, but but so in the end, one of us had to move on, and unfortunately, um, Keith had a game in the first team against Nottingham Forest, didn't have the best of times, and so they decided to sell him off to uh, Bury. He went to Bury and played at Bury for the next eleven years, so he had a great career at Bury, but not so much at Newcastle. So. I took his place and uh, I don't know whether he's ever forgiven me. <laughs> what were the highlights at St James's? Well, I mean, it, it was it was a big, big learning curve. You know, at that particular time, and Joe resigned after the um, 74 Cup final and, um, you know, um, you know Keith Birkenshaw was there and, and a lad called Dave Smith. Great coaches, really good coaches and I, I did really enjoy working with them because they knew... I think, you know, I wasn't say I was a bit special, but they enjoyed coaching me because I, I wanted to learn all the time. Yeah. And they were great to me, and I really did enjoy it. And uh, uh, and then Gordon Lee came in. And, what was he like? Well, Gordon was, you know, very much um, a, a, a man that just, I, I didn't think at that particular time he knew a great deal about the football world. Um you know, he, he, you know. Again, I think you had to have a little bit of experience. You had a, little, a bit of knowledge of the game, and he'd come in at, at the lower end and found himself at Newcastle because you know that they wanted him at that particular time. Yeah. Um, and he tried to, to keep things ticking over, um, but he infuriated. I have, to, I have to say, two or three players. Um, he got rid of Malcolm. Well, he did. Yeah, and Malcolm wasn't happy with uh, with uh, you know with him at that time and. Uh, Malcolm didn't think, uh, sorry, uh, the, Gordon Lee didn't think he worked enough 
for the team. Mm -hmm. But again, Malcolm had his attributes being speed uh, and scoring goals. Yeah. Uh, he was very, very good at very strong player. So, and Terry Hibbert was another one, you know, which, uh, you know, we had a problem at, like, you know, mm -hmm. just hang on. Sorry about that. <laughs> Feed them. Feed the dog, yeah, I know. So, um, so in the end, you know, I mean, T Terry Hibbert and um, and um, Malcolm eventually left the club, and one or two others did as well. He brought in his own men, and uh, and then all of a sudden Everton came in and and, and said, you know, we want to. He's done well with Newcastle. We took us into Europe. Um, Gordon Lee, sorry, um, uh, Richard Dinnis took over as the um, as the assistant manager, then the manager. Um, because of player power, I don't know whether you can remember it, but um, in '77, player power was a big thing at Newcastle, and uh, uh, myself and, and uh, Rocky Hudson and Urban Natlas and Alan Gowland and a few others stood up for the rights of the, the, the assistant manager, got him the job, and then ten games later he got the sack because he lost nine of them. So <laughs> that, that, that's when um, that's when um, Bill McGarry came in and decided, um, you know, enough was enough. So, right. but um, certainly in those days of, uh, uh, with Joe Harvey, you know, it was a gr I, I really did enjoy it because he won he was one of those managers that would allow you to go out and express yourself. You know, although he was, he was a bit of a smoker, and people did smoke in those days. Yeah. You know, we didn't particularly mind it, but I just felt he was, um, uh, I suppose, overrun by the likes of the, the player power at that at Newcastle at the time, and certainly Terry Hibbert and uh, Malcolm McDonald were, were two of them that voiced their opinions. Did you sit in the background? I sat in the background because <laughs> I was just a young lad, and oh, I was right. just coming through, and. Uh, I, I eventually, um, I wasn't a sh shop steward in those days, I have to say. <laughs> I was one of those that listened to people. That was my job, right. was to listen to the manager, listen to um, the comments of um, chairman and, 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 and various people like that. But um, there was there was always a problem that seemed to be at the club, you know, play, and player power in 77 was quick, quickly uh, quashed when, uh, when Bill McGarry came to the club because he said, right, we're getting rid of certain players. We're not going to have it. That's it. Finished. All done and with. And, and, and that was it. But that was it. Newcastle, you know, at the time, we, we seemed to be a good cup team because in those two years, obviously, I, I re sorry, in the, in the six years I was there, I reached the FA Cup final of 74 and I reached the League Cup final of 76 when we played against Manchester City. Um, so, you know, although, although um, the fans loved going to Wembley, you know, we felt as though we could get a, maybe a, a steady position in the league, but I suppose that, that didn't materialise because we were one of the teams that would go out there and try and win by four goals to three rather than by one goal to nil, where you don't get the manager the sack, you know, That's because true. like if, you, if you're going to win every game 4-3, it's going to be a, a heck of a game. Uh, you're going to concede goals, but sometimes you're going to get beat. But when you've got a strong defence, which I suppose, looking back on it, I thought myself... Uh, left back and Urban Natras, you know, on the right on the right back position, were strong full backs, England full backs at the time, and I felt as though that, uh, you know, if we get it right in the middle, and certainly Bob Moncur was there for a little while, Pat Howard and people like that, but then it it, it seemed to sort of like go haywire with um, you know players coming in and we're not getting a good relationship between the four of us, and we conceded yeah, we conceded an awful lot of goals, which was. I suppose not the right grounding for, for for getting higher up the league. How would you describe your style as a player? Um, I, I wasn't one of the players that uh, quickly um, adapted to to my position. Um, I, I always felt 
um, I was more of a forward than, than, than a defensive player. It was mm-hmm. only when I, I came to Liverpool that I, that I remembered I had to defend as well. Um, but I always wanted to get forward, and, and people like Tommy Craig and Terry Hibbert encouraged me to get forward. They would cover me. Um, I was probably as quick as anybody uh, in those days, mm-hmm. although I wasn't the tallest of players. Um, I was brave as well, sometimes a bit a bit daft and a bit foolhardy because I always felt as though a 50-50 meant you're going for the ball rather than the man mm-hmm. um, but I felt as though I was I was you know I was okay you know I wasn't one of the best players um, and one of the, th- the things I did miss out on in those days was was playing for my country um, I got picked in, in 1974 to represent my country but I had a, um, a serious knee ligament uh, operation mm-hmm. and unfortunately couldn't um, play for Newcastle and, and, and my country so I was very disappointed with that, but um, you know, um, and it took it, it took ten years uh, eventually for me to get the um, to get me uh, back in the in the England squad, and um, I made my debut in 1984. But um, you know, in, in 74, 75, it was like um, you know, work hard, uh, and and if you work hard, you get your rewards, and my rewards were playing for Newcastle, and that's all I wanted to do. I just wanted to play in every game. I didn't want to miss any games, and. And even when you got injured, you know, you felt as though that you wanted to sort of like get back in the team as soon as possible. And uh, I think that that's, uh, it, it was, I always showed, I think, a good attitude to everything. I wanted to win at everything, whether it be five sides or whether it be... Mm-hmm. You're whether, a winner. Yeah, I wanted to be that. You know, I wasn't blessed with a great ability, but um, what, what I had was, a, um, you know, a, a big heart. And uh, I, I would fight anybody on the pitch for, for, for Newcastle at the time because uh, that was my team and that's who I was representing. Um, you joined Liverpool and I watched you recently, you were doing your talk and you mentioned this, you, you, you had to wait in a queue to, to phone. Who was it you were actually phoning to clinch his deal? Is that a true story? Oh yes. Tell us the story. And I kid you not, that, that's exactly how it happened. I, I was sitting in the house uh, one day and um, you know there was no agents in those days and I don't know how um, Bob Cass got to know about it but he he, he come knocking on my door and he said um, give Newcastle a ring because uh, sorry give Liverpool a ring because they want to sign you and I'm thinking blow me neck like you know right right and I'm looking around and obviously no mobiles in those days And but we weren't actually on the phone so I had to go down to that one and only telephone box in the Barnwell shops it's probably still there now um, and I had to wait until everybody had used the phone and then I got in touch with Peter Robinson, and um, and he said, "Well, yeah, we want to sign you, but you know, as 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 you do, don't tell Newcastle <laughs> at the moment because they hadn't actually done the negotiations." So when I got to Newcastle the next day, um, obviously they got they got wind of it. Yeah. Liverpool had phoned Newcastle, and we were, were busy doing the transaction. But initially, Liverpool only offered three hundred thousand pounds. But that was still a, a lot of money in those days. Mm-hmm. And then eventually when it was all settled and um, Bill McGarry came to me and said, listen, you don't have to go. Um, you know, we can offer you a little bit of a rise and whatever. I said, but I'm not being funny, Mr. McGarry, but um, they've just won the European Cup. And, you know, he said, well, yeah, but still Newcastle United. I said, well, you know, I'm joining the team that's just won the European Cup. And... Uh, he, he didn't, you know, he didn't want me to leave, and, mm-hmm. and but I, I, I set my stall out. And the funny thing about it was, I thought, I thought it was Leeds United, because <laughs> Leeds United were also interested in, in right. me as well, and they put in a package um, for me and Urban Atlas to go there. So 
Um, I, I thought it was Leeds United, but but of course it was Liverpool. And then, I mean, I, I just wanted to go, and 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 I did. I, I did leave, and um, I, I think sometimes, you know, it's, it's funny this um, that Bernie. I went I went back to my dad, and because uh, my mother had just died, and um, I went back to my dad and I said, listen, dad, and I wanted the advice of him, like you know, what should mm-hmm. I do? Like, yeah. I, said, I said, dad, what do you think I should do? Should I join Liverpool or should I stay with Newcastle? And he said. Son, whatever decision you make, it'll be the wrong one. <laughs> well, you got that one wrong. <laughs> and I've gone, well, what do you mean? He says, well, listen, son, if you stay with us, you regret not joining the European champions. But if you go and join Liverpool, you probably think to yourself, I should be looking after your dad and your uh, sister and, right. and, and you've just lost your mother, like, you know. Mm-hmm. So it was a difficult decision. And, but I wanted him to say, either go yeah. or stay, like, you know. <laughs> it wasn't the answer you were looking for. No, it wasn't the answer I was looking for, no. But uh, I made my mind up fairly quickly. Um, and then I went across to um, uh, to a, a, a foreign place. I can't quite remember at the moment. And, you uh, went abroad somewhere, I yeah. went abroad and um, I went with... Peter Robinson, the secretary, and Peter was telling me all about Liverpool and what they'd just achieved and things like that, like, you know. And and I got there, and um, so he said, would you like to join in with the players, like, you know? So I said, I will go on, like, you know. So I joined in with the players, like, you know. And um, I, um, they said, they looked at me, and Joey Jones, who, who I was replacing, uh, looked at me and said, we're signing him. I was that bad in the five-a-size, they said to me, <laughs> He said to me, we're, we're signing him. Said, Joey, Joey, come back, Joey. Like, you know, they were like that. Like, so, so, this, and so I said to them, I had the nerve to say to, 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 say to Liverpool, just hang on a minute. I want to go home and have words with my parents. Uh, so with my dad, like, you know. So right. I went home, had a word with my dad. And uh, eventually he said, well, go on, son. You might as well go down and sign, like, you know. And it's obviously, the rest is history, you know, yeah. winning, winning, you know, league championship. Yeah, we're going to talk about that, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you played with players like Douglas Hansen, Sunnis. Did you feel intimidated when you first arrived at Anfield? Yes, I did feel intimidated. I felt as though that um, I knew a couple of players who had played with England, with Phil Thompson and um, and Terry McDermott and, mm-hmm. and David Fairclough. Um, but um, coming down and seeing, um, you know, Douglas who scored in the Champions League or the European Cup final yeah. of '78, Hansen being developing into the player he was. And soon as who had played against at Newcastle uh, quite a bit, I knew what sort of players they were. But the, old, the other lads who made me feel so welcome, you know, like the local lads of Sammy Lee and Jimmy Case, were absolutely fantastic. And uh, although I, I lived in a city centre hotel for a little while, I felt as though that, um, you know, it was, um, it was great. And, and, I, and I'll be honest with you, I couldn't sort of like turn it down. And, and I felt every moment at the club was, was a great moment, although... Um, you know, I wasn't at fir- sometimes first choice fullback because mm-hmm. they had Emlyn Hughes there yeah. and they had Joey Jones. So I was always, and the manager made that clear as soon as I made my debut. He says, You will be under pressure all the time you're here at this football club because there'll always be somebody pushing you mm-hmm. to, to find out and tell you know, to let you know that they're also pushing for a place as well. Yeah. Uh, Douglas was my boyhood hero. I mean, brought him Glasgow, I was a Celtic fan. How good was he? What what kind of character was he? Well, he was a, he's a, it's a simple <laughs> character. It's probably not the words, but it, he was a very easy as easy person to get on with. Right. Um, he was one of those players, first of all, that everybody looked up to because he had exceptional skill, yeah. both in the midfield and as a forward. Mm-hmm. You know, he took a lot of stick and a lot of kicks and a lot of bumps and put himself uh, in areas that, you know, sometimes players wouldn't go. 
Um, and but I think all in all, I think if you look back on the whole team, the whole team w- w- was a team that anybody could actually play in the team and get away with it, even if you weren't the biggest or, or the brightest player in the team. Mm-hmm. But Kenny certainly lifted the spirits of everybody. Um, you know, if, it would be difficult to, to, to separate him and, and Sunes and Hansen as you know who is the greatest player because um, you know they all contributed to Liverpool's success back in that period of time. Um, and I was just like a left back who just come into the team and who never wanted to be out of the team. But obviously, competition uh, from other players meant that uh, I didn't play all the games. But Kenny was Kenny was good for everybody. He really was. He was something that um, we all look back upon and say, well, you know, he was and probably still is one of one of the, if not the greatest player ever to pull on the shirt of Liverpool. I would agree with that. Um, Bob Paisley, what was he like as a manager? I mean, the outside, I've seen him as a, a sort of an elderly gentleman who was a bit mumbly when he was getting interviewed. What was he like? Yeah, he didn't like the interview side of it, didn't like media side of it, didn't court going on television or didn't uh, enjoy talking to the media, probably couldn't cope with today's, um, if he was a manager, media circus, manager yeah. today, um, he would probably pass it on to somebody else because mm-hmm. um, he never liked communicating. He was a shy man, really. Right. He, he loved his football, but he loved his family as well. And one of the things he did, and uh, you know, we we often speak to his um, his wife, and um, you know, and she's doing great at the moment. And I, I just think that um, you know, he wanted to get back, get away from the ground as soon as possible, and then come back next day. He's ready to talk football, but he's ready to talk to Joe Fagan, Ronnie Moran, Ruben Bennett, Tom Saunders, Roy Evans, and that's what he did, players-wise. He let the players do the talking on the pitch. Um, and even in the team meetings, he wasn't good at um, demonstrating, you know, as a manager, what we should be doing. Um, you know, he brought us in. He would often say, listen, I brought you in to play the way that you've played for Newcastle. Mm-hmm. You know, but I want you to learn the Liverpool way, was to make it short, make it happen, give an option, get up there, work hard, defend as a team, make sure you're doing it. And, and, and that was it. There wasn't any special instructions for any particular game. I, I remember Don Revy, you know, having a, a dossier on, on the, the opposition. Mm-hmm. We, 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 we spent about three minutes on a Friday morning talking about the opposition. That's no disrespect to them, but I'm sure the opposition would spend about 20 minutes on us, you know, yeah, saying, yeah. well, stop him playing, stop that playing. We, at the time, the, the, we, we were a good team. We were European champions. Um, and then in that 78, we were league champions as well with a British record of points. Um, so you didn't need to say very much to a team, but, you know, when we lost a couple of games, heaven forbid, Bob would, would go absolutely berserk and he'd have a go, would you believe, uh, probably the, the, the captain of the team, whether it be Phil Thompson or Graham Sooners. And he'd, he'd say only a few words. He says, you lot, get it sorted out. <laughs> so, so he says, we've lost two games. I'm not having it, OK? And you lot, get it sorted out. So we'd be going out and we'd have a little team meeting and we'd be saying, right, I think the boss is right. Like, you know, we've, mm-hmm. we've got to work it out. Like, you know, so we're right. No messing around, right? But then we get on the five-a-side pitch. We're doing hopping. We're doing. We're, we're doing. Uh, we're hopping on one foot. We've got one eye sh- one eye open, one eye closed. We're having a bit of a laugh, like you know. Yeah. But we seem to respect what they meant by it, like you know. And 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 once they'd said it, okay, fun's over. You know, we yeah. went out a couple of times, a couple of nights, a couple of days. We had a couple of nights where we shouldn't have gone out, and uh, you know, he said, hey, you know. 
now get back to the business of playing like you know just simple as that we, we, we played a game funny up at your old club Middlesbrough Bernie and um, we played up there and um, we went out in the afternoon because um, uh, there was a shop being opened and we had to go to open the shop so we went down there and uh, we opened the shop and uh, and then they said do you want a, do you want a beer and we've gone no game tonight and we said, uh, so in the end we had a couple of beers like and then Oof. when you've had a couple of beers you think oh I'll have a couple more like you know <laughs> so this is before the game so we eventually get back to the hotel and um, you know so we get our little sleep like wakes up like you know and we get to play the game against Middlesbrough and Middlesbrough was you know playing reasonable football in those days and uh, and um, it's nil nil <laughs> And Terry McDermott's on the bench, like, you know, and um, Terry's had probably had a little bit more than anybody else, like, you know. <laughs> and he, the boss said, get warmed up. And he says, I feel a bit sick, boss. I've got a bit of a tummy ache. <laughs> <laughs> after 20 pints. After, after a few pints, like, you know. And in the end, we drew nil-nil, like, you know, but that was, when, that was when you could get away with it, you know. Yeah. It was, like, so funny like you know they knew the score I mean don't tell me that yeah, they, Bob, they knew what was going yeah, on yeah they knew what was going on but they said if you let us down at any one occasion you're out of it right and then that's exactly what they did they, you know they made you aware that if you let the club down you're out of it yeah. like you know so um, but I was glad to last seven years there so it was good uh, you scored the winner I mean everybody would no doubt you've answered it a million times you scored the winner in the European Cup final against Real Madrid in Paris could you believe you know, we've spoke about obviously Rushy was there, Douglas. Could you believe it was Alan Kennedy that scored the winner? Well, I couldn't at the time because um, you know my job w was to basically defend, and, and obviously uh, after eighty odd minutes, eighty one minutes of the game, it was nil nil, and um, you know a rush of blood came to my head of, of going forward, and uh, yeah, I certainly didn't expect Ray Kennedy to throw the ball to me, and you know I was sort of like. You know, trying to make a bit of space for maybe people like Sunas to get the ball or, or even Sammy Lee to get the ball and maybe have a shot cross or whatever like you know mm -hmm. but it was totally unexpected when he threw the ball and I chested it down carried, um, carried me into the box and, and eventually the, the goalkeeper made the fatal move of like going to his left expecting the cross and, and he made the move the, I mean the ball went in the near post if he stayed there it, I would have got a right rollicking from the manager because the goalkeeper would have collected it and kicked it upfield, but he made the move. It's got the balls hit the back of the net, and and I kept on running. And you know, I was waiting for the whistle, thinking that there might have been an infringement. Yeah, there might have been something happening. So so it didn't didn't come, and I ran. And and, and then the fans were trying to get on the pitch, and and, and in some ways, if there were kids, I, I was trying to get out the pitch. <laughs> you know, I was trying to get off it in the in Paris. But uh, David Johnson come over. And the, there was a moat beside the beside the the pitch to stop the fans coming on the pitch. Well, he picked me up and, and he tried to push me. In. <laughs> and I said, "Yeah, you know, what are you doing?" Like you know, he says, and he looked at me. He says, "Did you mean that?" I says, "Of course I did." <laughs> and did a, you mean it? A, well, it was one of those decisions, Bernie. You've made a decision. You think to yourself, "You made the right decision." Yeah. You know, if I crossed the ball or whatever. Then you know I would have got a right roll again for not having a go. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm nine yards from goal. You've got to have a go at goal. Um, but that ball could have gone anywhere because on a pitch like that, it wasn't a great pitch. I have to say, on a pitch like that, it could have gone anywhere. But it fortunately went in the back of the net, and you know it, it obviously won the game for for, for Liverpool. And uh, we ended up uh, going out into Paris, having a great time. 
Um, I didn't because I was just a young lad, like you know, and I was. Get away! I, I had a girlfriend at the time, and uh, right. and then we went and had a bit of a sing song in the uh, Meridian Hotel the Meridian. in in, uh, in Paris. <laughs> I bet that was some night. <laughs> it was a great night, I have to say. The lads went out. Um, they took the cup out with them. They're, they're in the um, uh, the Folly Bourgier, whatever you call it. I'm not. I can't speak that language, you know. But uh, <laughs> they were out there having a good time, and uh, the, the, the cup came back about half five in the morning. Um, Phil Thompson and I took it out the next day. We had our pictures taken, and then we took it on uh, on on the plane, um, and then we took it. Um, uh, Phil took it to Kirby and uh, his local place right. and uh, he took it to the local pub he says come have your picture taken with the European Cup massive cup it was in, the, you know, in those days yeah. and, um, and then Phil got so drunk he forgot about it <laughs> he, le he left it there and he gets a phone call the next morning from Peter Robertson the secretary and Peter says um, Phil where's the cup and Phil said it's, it's, it's next to me and it wasn't really. It was still down at the bar in the uh, in the pub. He was telling the porky. Yeah, so he had to go down and get it, like you know. But he wasn't. He was worse for wear at the time. But everybody was still having the picture taken. <laughs> like, it was amazing. The European Cup, like you know, talking about um, you know the things you do with the European Cup. Oh, well, I would never know. <laughs> um, you lifted the European Cup again. Uh, Scoring against Roma, penalty shoot it was a penalty spot, wasn't it? Yes, it was. Uh, what's your memories of that? Uh, by the way, did you score another penalty in the European competition? Um, no, I didn't. No, no, okay. no, no. I wish I did, but right. um, I didn't. Uh, you know, because we 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 played in the Euro the only twice. Uh, sorry, we played in three times in the European Cup, but. 85 was Heisel and um, that's something that we, yeah. we tend to f forget about not to f forget the people who died but forget about the result and how it happened and things like that yeah. but in in, in 84 uh, I mean Grobola was brilliant on that particular day but um, what happened was like you know he obviously was our goalkeeper and I didn't realise at the time what he was doing when he was putting their players off mm -hmm. the game actually finished one apiece uh, with AS Roma and uh, it was on their in their stadium um, and they had the majority of the fans and, and we only had about 10 or 15,000 there so we were uh, you know outnumbered in terms of the player uh, in terms of the uh, fan side of it mm -hmm. so so in the end the penalty shootout after a one, one apiece draw and Phil Neal scoring and Prudso scoring for them we ended up one apiece like you know in the penalty shootout and as I said before Grobelar was just fantastic what he did by putting Conti and Graziani off yeah. and, and then when when when, when the when the final uh, penalty taker Joe, Joe, Joe Fagan before that said to me he come on the pitch and he said to me uh, are you alright and I said to him yeah I'm, I'm, I'm fine like you know and I didn't realise he meant to say to me are you alright to take a penalty <laughs> and he missed the penalty outside of it and I said I was alright so there's four of the lads standing over there by the referee yeah. and they're looking at the fifth one and they're saying where's the fifth one and I'm saying to everybody, who's fifth? Who's number five? He says, it's you. And I went, what? He says, yeah, you told the manager that you were all right to take a penalty. <laughs> so I had to go over. And I'm like going, flipping heck. <laughs> and I was like going, did I volunteer? And, and Joe like wasn't even looking at the time, like, you know. So the way it worked out, they'd missed a couple of penalties. We'd missed one through Steve Nicholl. Mm -hmm. And came down to the final penalty. Well, I'm bottling it, like, you know, and I'm thinking, I don't want to be here. 
I wanted to be on Star Trek. <laughs> I wanted Scotty to beam me up and take me away and yeah. get me out of here. But I thought, well, think of your family, think of your friends, think of the people watching. And then I'm thinking, flipping heck, don't change your mind, whatever you do, don't mm -hmm. change your mind, like, you know. And in the end, like, you know, left-footed players, like, you know, the, I changed my mind. And it went in the, the opposite corner that I really wanted to take it. <laughs> and it went in the back of the net. And I thought, whoa, yes, that'll do me. And I set off. And, and in the end, I was going to do like a, a cartwheel or a somersault or whatever, like, you know. And I didn't do anything like that. I just had a little bit of a jump and stamped my feet. And I thought, you stupid. So when I see that now, I go, you stupid. So what did you do that for? And, and I thought, oh, anyway, the lads celebrated. We we. we when afterwards we went out, um, obviously the, the Roma fans weren't happy about us winning on their home ground, like, you know, and yeah. they started to pelt all our fans with, with bricks and bottles and, <laughs> and the coach as well. We, you know, we never really got out there for three hours, like, you know, so went and had a drink and, and a meal in, um, in, um, on one of the villas in Rome and had an absolutely great night and went back again to a, like a civic reception the next day in Liverpool. Um, and then it was like back to the drawing board like you know it was dead funny as we were getting off the bus at the airport we had to go back to the airport uh, Ronnie Moran says right lads we'll see you in 23 days 15 hours and 6 minutes <laughs> I said thank you very much Ronnie have a good time and see you later and that's exactly what he said because he said right that counts for nothing you've done that now uh, we'll wait for the next game, which um, is going to be pre-season. Incredible. Incredible. Unbelievable. But great record. Seven years, 350 league and cup games, five five league championships, four league cups, three charity shields, two European cups, and a couple of caps as well. So it wasn't too bad, and I was quite excited about obviously the whole thing. Scary. Uh, you get a rollicking. I mean, you mentioned this in your talk, and I've read it obviously on Wikipedia. Whatever. You get a rollicking from Bob Paisley during a half-time interval. Um, what was that all about? He said something about Kennedy. Was he referring to yes, he the was, president? He was referring what to the say? president. Yeah, I was. Um, I was. Uh, well, well, I mean, I wasn't. Let's say the brightest player ever to sign for Liverpool. And um, on one of my games, it might have been. It was the early games that that uh, I played for Liverpool. It might have. I can't remember whether it was my debut, but um, it was like I was having a torrid time. I was trying to find Terry McDermott with long balls I was trying to hit the front men with long balls mm -hmm. and I was I forgot about playing it short I forgot the Liverpool way um, which was to play the ball short uh, bring Souness or bring Kennedy into the game Ray Kennedy and then play the ball back keep it go down the other side things like that and mm -hmm. I forgot all about it like you know so when I got the ball in whack straight up there that's better down there than they can't score down here yeah. without goal that'll do me and you know half time whistle's gone in like you know and, and, and Bob you know good job he came to me first before Joe Fagan because Joe Fagan would have killed me <laughs> he really would have because when he gets annoyed and you're not doing the right thing so Bob come up to me and, and he looked me and I thought he's going to tell me like you've got to keep it short you've got to do with this and you've got to do with that and he came up with a comment like no, they shot the wrong Kennedy in 63 like you know <laughs> and, and, and I thought to myself that's a compliment that isn't it and I thought thanks very much boss lovely and I went off went down the steps back up the other side and I thought ain't that nice to say, say that to me <laughs> didn't think that it was said, if you don't pull you know, pull your socks up you're going to be out the team you're going to get shot <laughs> yeah that's uh, right yeah looking back at your, your Liverpool career uh, 
as an ex-player myself, I'm intrigued. What was your training routine? Was it long runs? Was it stamina? Was it five-a-sides? You know, what, what was the secret and how, what did you do day-to-day routine? Um, well, uh, when you've got um, good players, I don't think you need to, first of all, do much sort of like organisation. On the pitch, there was 11 captains out on the pitch. There wasn't just one. Mm-hmm. Um, and we only had three in the time I was there with... Um, you know, Graham Souness, Phil Neal um, and Phil Thompson. Yeah. You know, they were the three that, OK, we looked up to, they were the captains, that's fine. But on the pitch, everybody was a captain. And, uh, you know, uh, we didn't... Uh, if I could give you, give you a typical routine, on the, on the Monday, after, say, the game on the Saturday, uh, we'd go in, we'd have a, uh, a walk around the, the Melbourne, the training ground, we'd then have a light jog, we'd then go into some three-quarter jogs, um, you know, not sprinting, mm-hmm. just three-quarter jogs. We'd then be split up. The reserves would go down one side, the first team with the other. Uh, we'd, do, we'd do a five-a-side uh, or a six-a-side, yellows versus, um, the, you know, the, the, the yeah. other colours. Um, the, the, the coaching staff would go off and play with the juniors, okay, mm-hmm. and the reserves. They'd go off and play their games all there because they love playing with the kids. And we'd be playing five-a-side for about... 40 minutes, uh, they come over, they stop, I'd say, right, we're going to do a little sprinting, uh, we do some sprinting, okay, then we go back into a little five-a-side, but restricting maybe to one-touch, two-touch, things like that, right. and then finish off with a little bit of, a, again, a sprint, and that took 90 minutes, they all only trained us for 90 minutes, so if we start at half past 10, you know, we finish at 12 o'clock, we start at quarter to 11, we finish at quarter past 12. Right, so it was always 90 minute session? Always 90 minute session, yeah. And we didn't need any more because we played so many games. Yeah, of course. You know, obviously 42 games in a season, in those early seasons. And you've got League Cup, you know, you've got the European Cup at yeah, that time. Yeah. So we, we played, on average, I would say 60 games a season. You know, so, you know, some players, you know. And in the first season there, I think we used 16 players. In, in that particular season, because Sammy Lee was one of the like soaps, uh, David Fairclough was. Um, we had uh, a couple of others who, who Emlyn Hughes was part of it as well, mm-hmm. and there was somebody else who I can't quite remember. But you know, anybody like Dalglish was so good at playing, say, a, a deep lying midfield player, or he could play midfield, or he could play as a forward, mm-hmm. and then we could play Fairclough as a forward, or we could play you know anybody up there. Mm-hmm. Um, but we generally you know congested the midfield, and that's how teams couldn't get the better of us because we 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 worked it out that you know if you play somebody in that midfield as an extra man yeah. they can turn go at the place and when you've got McDermott running you've got Ray Kennedy and you've got say Jimmy Case on, you've got everybody going at the same time like you know mm-hmm. so um, nobody could fathom out and a lot of people came to watch us took notes of how we trained and they said how do you get your skill so five aside Okay. You know, I'd heard that rumor, but obviously, oh, you've you've confirmed that it wasn't a rumor. It was it was how we we did it because what Ronnie and Joe used to do used to look at their little red book, or say their big red book, and they used to look at it um, from last year, and they said, right, what did we do last year at this period of time, three weeks into the season? Right, we did this. We'll do that again. Yeah. And and Ray Clements used to do it, a little bit of a training session on a on a Thursday. Uh, morning as we played our five aside, he used to do a bit of a session, mm-hmm. but it was never a hard session that um, play uh, that goalkeepers do now. And um, you know, but he he benefited from it. You know, mm-hmm. look how long he lasted. He had ten years at Liverpool and ten years at Tottenham. Yeah, so what? You look at look at Grobelar had thirteen years at the club as well. So you know, we didn't push players because we didn't have to. 
those at, at that particular time. You know, uh, we, we used to have a hard pre-season. We used to play quite a few games, do a lot of travelling. Mm -hmm. But it was all geared for the first game of the season. If we had the charity shield uh, on a Saturday before the season start, he said, Bob would say, don't get booked, don't get sent off, and for whatever you do, don't get injured. Because if you get injured, you're out of the team, you're not good to us, and you don't get your win bonus, things like that. So... Oh, everything was geared to the first game of the season and then when, once you get that out of the way you feel, you, you feel much better for it so it was really a great um, time and it was it, it extended my career in terms of long way because I, I found playing games was better than training yeah of course I think every player would agree with that uh, when, you, when you came to the end of your, your an, uh, Anfield career were you forced out or was it a difficult decision leaving it was it was my decision in the end, um, mm -hmm. Peter Robinson, the, the, the secretary, and um, to a certain extent, Kenny uh, Dalgleish, who was then the manager, said, listen, you don't have to go. But I felt as though that I was under pressure from, from Jim Beglin, you know, who was coming in at, at fullback. And yeah. I felt as though he was, he was a, a good eight years younger than me, and uh, I felt as though that my, my uh, days were numbered. And he um, was going to be the regular left back, but... I just wanted to go out, not with a bang, but I wanted to say thank you to everybody. Like you know, mm -hmm. and when you look back, and I had the, the difficult choice between Ian McFall at Newcastle or Laurie, Laurie McMenemy at Sunderland, and uh, you know, uh, Laurie won it um, because of what he said to me. You what know? did they say? To you? What, well, what was it like? What the, did they say? I, I, you know, I want to tell people the deal was exactly the same, and, and Ian McFall as the manager of Newcastle was was absolutely superb. Um, and he was so gutted and disappointed that I didn't sign for him. But when I heard what Laurie was going to do with Sunderland and how he's going to bring them, you know, up and out of the second division, I thought, well, you know, this is the choice for me. And the plays he had there with Eric Eric Gates and and uh, Dave Swindler, Sean Elliott, and uh, and and George Burley was just about to be signed, and and Frank Gray was there. So I did honestly believe that that Sunderland had the better chance of coming out of the second division. Um, but I didn't. I failed to realise that uh, Sunderland had lost the first five games of the season, mm -hmm. and um, they hadn't got a point, scored one goal or something like that. And uh, so, you know, when I went there, David Hodgson said to me, um, it, it, "It's not bad. It's it's great." Like you know. So the deal was that I would be getting the same amount of money for signing for Sunderland as I would be for Newcastle. So. You know, I believe Laurie was the, the, the right man to sign for. The Messiah had come back to Sunderland. And um, unfortunately, it didn't work out either for the players. Um, and, of course, the manager who, you know, jumped ship back in 86-87 season. Did you play many North East Derby games? Um, I didn't. Because Newcastle were at the bottom of, well, near the bottom of the um, first division, and Sunderland were in the um, second division at that right. particular time when, right. I, when, when I was at Sunderland. But I played derby games when I was at Newcastle mm -hmm. against Sunderland, and of course Middlesbrough as well. Used to love beating them, Middlesbrough. Yeah. Very seldom beat them, did they? Oh yes, oh yeah. <laughs> I remember um, a couple of uh, games that we we had a we had a great um, a, a great uh, game there. Um, Middlesbrough were three one up. Bernie and um, uh, Glenn Keeley I don't remember, remember Glenn Keeley I've heard the name Keeley yeah. well he scored an own goal to make it 3-1 to, uh, to Middlesbrough mm -hmm. and then I came up with a goal I don't know how I scored it but it was outside the, it was a header honestly and if check the record you're outside the box and uh, I'm not sure whether it was Platy in goal or whether it was somebody else but then Irvin that was got the the, 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 um, the, the, the equaliser to make it 3-3 
Um, but I mean, there were always great games, intense games at, at that at, between uh, Newcastle, Sunderland, Middlesbrough. You know, and uh, I, I loved them. I really loved them. But um, fortunately for me, at uh, Sunderland, I didn't have any encounters with um, team because Newcastle were down at the bottom of the um, first division, and it was only for um, and I'll get his name right, Paul Goddard. Paul Goddard, yeah, who, who the centre forward. That's right, Blonde lad who scored nine consecutive goals for Newcastle right. that saved them from relegation and um, you know you know, it was a blessing a blessing in disguise it was a great time but I thought I'd made the right decision I hadn't made the right decision and uh, consequently I left Sunderland after just 18 months of my contract after leaving Sunderland I mean I've read some of the names was it Beershaw Hartlepool oh, Grantham Wigan them. there was a host of clubs yeah. um, I think you played to, was it you nearly 40 yeah, I played. Um, I played non-league. Um, I went into first of all. I, I played for Hartlepool. Uh, mm-hmm. Let's not forget. I was going everywhere at the time. I was going rapidly downhill, but I played for Hartlepool, and then um, I ended up um, going uh, to Wigan. Uh, I played for a non-league team called Colne Dynamo, yeah, uh, which were quite strong in those days. Mm-hmm. And then I went went back into league football with um, with Wrexham. I finished my playing career yeah, at thirty six with Wrexham, but then. Uh, I got a knee injury, um, was forced out of the game as a professional, and then uh, I went to play non-league football. And uh, uh, grateful for, for Kenny Dalglish to let me train at um, at uh, Liverpool, and uh, I played non-league football until I was 42 and a half, which brilliant. I loved it. I really loved it. And obviously, I, I still play a little bit in the Masters tournaments. Well, you're there. I've seen you. No. No, I still play. I captained the team last year. And we we played it in Guernsey. Would you believe one of the games in Guernsey? And the team, I put my best team out there. And I could always play a manager. I was manager at the time, first half. Playing against some 19-year-olds, 20-year-olds. We're 4-0 down at half-time. And I'm looking at people like Nigel Spackman, John Walk, Jason McAteer, Rob Jones. And they're looking at me to get them off like I says, no. You're staying on. <laughs> you got us into that trouble. You can get us out of it. So I changed it around a bit the second half, and we we won six four. Well done. You still got it. Still uh, got it. Internationally, uh, international caps, full caps. I know you got under twenty ones and B caps, but full caps you get two. Should it have been more? Well, it would have been more if um, Kenny Sanson um, and and um, you know there was another lad uh, who played for West Bromwich Albion. Um, was there as well, like you know. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, Kenny Sanson was the main guy. Never got injured. Was always um, a decent player. Um, and and you know he was a player that um, one. Of, well, he is the main reason why I never got in the squad. Um, I did get in one or two of the squads late on mm-hmm. when I, when I played the two games. And to be fair to um, Bobby Robson, you know he was very generous to me by at least giving me a couple of caps but um, there came a time when Bobby Robson phoned me up uh, in 85 and he said listen Alan uh, I'm sorry about this but I'm going to have to leave you out the next squad and I was ever steered and, mm-hmm. and I said well who's who's coming in and me he said it, it's a young lad he, he's a bit but he's, a, he's more of a centre forward lad called Gary Lineker <laughs> and I went I understand, no problem. Anyway, thanks very much, Bobby. And, um, you know, so at least I got the two caps. But the thing about England at the time, um, as you probably know, they're a bit tight and they put they put my two caps into one cap. So I've got England and Northern Ireland on one cap. <laughs> Great, isn't it? <laughs> uh, since retiring, what have you been up to? Uh, I do a lot of um, media work at this moment in time. I'm... Uh, uh, we, we, especially the, you know this week in terms of uh, 
you know, the Champions League and things like that. I did a radio show for six years, which no, I No, I was going to mention that. The three legends of Manchester with Gary Owen, Sharpie, Mickey Thomas. Did you enjoy it and were you disappointed that it ended? Yes, I absolutely loved it. Uh, honestly, it was a fantastic show and people still... Um, you know, talk to us about, you know, why did they let it go? And, you know, that was their decision. It wasn't ours. Our contracts were up at the end of the season. And mm -hmm. uh, they said, um, you know, we want to go down other lines. And, um, you know, but I, I, I loved the show. We loved the show. And, um, you know, we hope in the future it might be brought back. But mm -hmm. uh, you know what it's like, Bernie, talking to people. You, you let people have a little bit of a chance to have a chat with you. You know, we don't get a chance to see these fans out there and these people who want to talk about their team. And uh, I thought that was a lovely way to talk to them and just have a chat and yeah. make them feel comfortable with you you know yeah. sometimes you get a bit of noise sometimes they can be they can be awkward but um, generally speaking you know that you know they wind you up we had Mickey Thomas who wound every Liverpool fan up <laughs> and yet you know they loved him for it like you know because he used to wind them up like yeah. you know whereas I would sit on the fence Sharpie had them more intelligence than all three of us put together. Yeah. And and Gary, you know, just was, was a City fan, was been in the doldrums for so many years, and now they're the richest club in the world. <laughs> so, you know, it, it, everything turns around, like, you know, so, you know, we just said, like, you know, listen, we loved it. We absolutely, six years we did that, yeah. you know, and uh, we thought it was, the, the, we thought it was a great show. And everybody, everybody I've talked to said, oh, what happened to the legends? What happened to the legends? Well, the legends may come back, but uh, maybe in another another force. We don't know, but um, it well, was such a great time, and um, you know we loved every minute of it. Well, let's hope it does. Al, um, are you still involved? Yeah, I know you're still involved at Liverpool. What do you do on match day? Match day, I'm the meeter and greeter of the Carlsberg Lounge. Uh, they've been the sponsors, obviously, for the last nearly 20 years I would have to say uh, and I've been I've been there for about six or seven years and uh, so people come in uh, they have a good day hopefully if the team have done well yeah. they get the man of the match in uh, whichever it might be um, it's usually Torres or usually Gerard. I have to say some bad players but, but there, uh, yeah there are others as well but um, you know we generally try and give them as good a day as we can and um, you know so they go home and um, all excited and you know one or two of the the other um, well, if I can call them Liverpool legends, come into the um, uh, lounge as well. You know, the John Oliver, Ian Rushes, and yeah. people like that. So the people can get a couple of autographs as well. Brilliant. And the uh, best thing about it is, it's free because <laughs> Carlsberg pay for it. So it's very nice. It's <laughs> something I, I, I enjoy doing, Bernie. I really do. You know, you know, we all can't be coaches. We're all managers and whatever. Yeah. But I think we're still giving something a little bit back to the game, and I think we're giving something that maybe the current players and the current team might not give in, in a few years time so you know I'm trying to make sure that you know we, we keep things going we run a Liverpool Legends team uh, that goes on tour mm -hmm. every year um, and obviously I've seen you out in Singapore yeah. uh, you know playing the games as well we love it don't we we, yeah. we, st we still all rather be players rather than talking about it Definitely. because uh, you know I think um, you know playing side of it they, they say you should always keep playing and that's what I intend to do good luck Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off 
buy rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durban Marshall credit card bill. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.